Hello, and welcome to Loaf, a movie podcast. My name is Rahul Duca. And I'm Jason Mallet, and today we're going to be discussing a movie called Roma, directed by Alfonso Coron and starring Yalitza Aparicio. Uh, usually we start off our podcast by giving you a pretty extensive summary of the movie's plot points, but since this movie's pretty new, uh, a lot of people maybe haven't had the chance to see it, we decided we're not going to go into such an in-depth plot analysis. This time we're going to our plot summary, I should say, we're just going to kind of go forward and skip to the discussion. Uh, but basically, just so everyone's aware, this movie is about a family in Mexico City in the 1970s. The main character is named Cleo, and she's a live-in maid with this family. The family also has a mom and a dad, four kids, a grandma, and a separate live-in maid. And the story basically picks up there and then follows these people's lives during about a year or so in the time um, Mexico City is going through some political turmoil and stuff like that. That plays a factor, but mostly focuses on the lives of these characters. So first of all, Rad, how do you feel about the movie? We haven't really had the chance to discuss it at all yet. Yeah, I I enjoyed the movie it wasn't typically in the wheelhouse of films that I enjoy. It was uh-huh. very artistic, I would say, but there was no forward pushing plot point in this movie that I I felt. You know, uh-huh. um, a lot of the movies that I like I enjoy have something or something going on that kind of drives the main characters, yeah. or it kind of pushes the story forward. Uh, but on in this movie, it was just people living their life. Yeah, I, I this movie definitely is not as plot driven as some other movies, and in a sense, like as I was watching it, you almost feel like the movie is less about any specific character and almost maybe about like the setting. Like the biggest focus of the movie is more like Mexico City at this specific time and how it affects people's lives and things. So I agree with you in that sense that it's not like a plot driven movie. But that being said, I I did love the movie i thought maybe i can see how it's not for everybody maybe because it is so like artistically focused and that's not always hit with me either but i i was like blown away by this movie i thought it was really really good i thought visually the the movie was was stunning like black Mm -hmm. like i'm a big sucker for black and white like photography black and white cinematography and they did such a a stunning job because everything was so vivid and so enthralling even though there was no color in it. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. It's like such a, you know, you think of Mexico City as being like a very colorful, like vibrant place. And then they shoot it in black and white and somehow it still manages to give you that like impression, which I thought was interesting. I'm not usually a huge fan of black and white, but it worked in this movie. The cinematography of the movie itself was just just amazing. And uh, yeah, there's like one one scene in particular that I remember was when 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 the main character Cleo she's uh-huh. she's pregnant she's in the hospital and looking at the the babies during the earthquake you see the cinder blocks fall on like these three babies uh-huh. and it doesn't really tell you if the babies lived or died but the next scene cuts to just three crosses on top of gravestones uh-huh. before you like trans- before it like kind of pans over to the family driving their car into uh-huh. like this like vacation spot yeah and so it it kind of implies, yeah, and like through the use of scenery and cinematography, he hints at what's going on. Yeah, 
I so I didn't I didn't necessarily notice that. I remember what you're saying. I just didn't put two two together, but I do. I see what you're saying. But one interesting thing I thought about this movie was like in another movie, like the deaths of three babies in a big tragedy might be treated as like some huge like plot point, but it was kind of just like a thing that happened in this movie and not harped on a lot. And then similarly, there's other things in this movie, like a character mentions that somebody's like poisoned their dog over a land dispute. And then another character mentions that their son was killed over this land dispute. And it seems like such a big event that could drive the plot of a whole another movie. And then they just don't really like extend it. And I thought that made the whole world seem so much more like complex and vivid that they add all these little details that, like, don't necessarily have anything to do with the main story at all, but just, like, function to make the whole world so much more complete. Yeah, and I think that plays into, I think, the perspective that Afonso Cuaron was going for, right? The maid is, in most movies, like, maids, butlers, yeah, those like are secondary characters. Yeah. And so you're seeing a movie from their perspective, and so you're not, you know, like, as their role in the household, they're not focused on these like trivial things going around they're focused on the family and the family dynamic mm -hmm. and so i think that was what i also found interesting was like it's never actually to the audience is not actually told that oh the this is going on or you know yeah. this this person has left the family or yeah. this but you find out because of the main character finds out yeah. through their role as yeah. a live-in maid. Like one of the two main like dramas of the movie is that the husband who's a doctor ends up kind of like leaving the family and starting his own life. And that alone was so dramatic and affecting all the characters that it could be a movie in and of itself and be the main plot point. But like you said, like since we're watching it from the maid's viewpoint, we only get that as like a side story almost. And it just makes it really interesting and like a very unique and like effective uh, way of uh, showing a movie. I think. Yeah. And I think a lot of it plays into the cinematography was mm -hmm. just so encapsulating. And so it, it pulls you in and you're just the black and white, like somehow like add the depth to this movie yeah. to make you really appreciate yeah. what's going on i was skeptical of the black and white at first but i looking back on it like this movie worked so well at black and white i can't necessarily put a finger on why but like it just worked so well yeah and i also love the fact that we had these kind of giant like zoomed out shots yeah, and then you that. had to assess the entire scene to be like okay like what what's important where uh -huh. are they kind of directing me to and you'd see, like, in the background, like, the family's walking or yeah, something. Yeah, and then in every other, like, square inch of the screen, something else is going on. It's, like, completely filled with life and, like, activity from top to bottom, which made the city seem so much more, like, vibrant on top of what it already seemed. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. why this movie won cinematography at the yeah, Oscars this year. <laughs> not surprised at all. It deserved it. I think, you know, as a casual moviegoer and somebody that's not necessarily involved in the filmmaking business, like... Certain things like sound editing and cinematography and things like that can be overlooked. But if you really, like for me at least, when I get to noticing them and like they make an impact on me, that's how you know it's done super well, I think. And I definitely notice it in this movie that those things were like on point. Yeah. And I think one of the great things about this movie, and it, and it speaks to one like the 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 performances of the actors mm -hmm. and Alfonso Cuaron's being a great director yeah. is that this movie was in Spanish 
I, yeah. I I barely understand Spanish, so yeah. a lot of it was me trying to read the subtitles and get the, what was going on in the yeah. movie. But even without them, you're able to get a sense of like understanding of what's happening in the scene and get a feel for what's going on through the actions and acting of the mm-hmm. people playing these roles. Yeah, yeah. The subtitles once again is like when you start the movie, you're like black and white subtitles. What's this going to be about? But for me. It worked. I don't know. I that was very effective. For me, sometimes I I differentiate great pieces of entertainment from great pieces of art. Uh-huh. You know, there's some movies that I'm like, oh, I love this, but I wouldn't call it an artistic masterpiece. And yeah. this one is a combination of both. Yeah. Where I think visually stunning great story and it draws you in and i think if it wasn't for netflix i don't think i would ever watch this movie and Mm. i and that's one of the things i was reading was why this movie went on netflix instead of going on to kind of a mainstream mainstream theater yeah was because alfonso Cuaron knew that some of these for, for us in the united states what we consider foreign films don't get a lot of playtime or don't get a lot of exposure. I don't know if I've ever seen a movie in theaters that had subtitles. I'm sure there have been, but I don't know if I've personally ever gone into the movies to see one. Yeah. And like, I go to the movies quite a bit. Yeah. The only ones that I've, I've seen was maybe uh, Bollywood movies. And that's oh, just because yeah. uh, of my background. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So like that, I think that was like a smart play by Alfonso Cuaron. You know, one, you know that streaming has become the future and it gives you a wider audience. And you knew that having a movie that will be on a streaming platform would reach millions and millions of people mm-hmm. more so than if he did it straight to theaters. And apparently this is causing a lot of yeah, controversy. Yeah, I was say, like, I hear backlash about it now because the Oscars were last week. So Yeah, like the Oscars, BAFTA, since, since it was on Netflix and streaming services, people were... Um, people are arguing that it wasn't in theaters and didn't do that theatrical run that most yeah. movies. I think that's so dumb. <laughs> like, who who cares? A movie is a movie regardless of where it's released. You know, like I I just think that that's like a lame excuse used by people to try to like you know be like part of the establishment. Like, I don't get why the fact that I watched this on my laptop versus like seeing it in the theaters would matter and especially like a lot of movies that get released in the theaters i don't watch a lot it's on my computer on netflix anyway so yeah i think we're gonna see a transition i can see where they're coming from because it would be like we could argue that me and you make a movie and then we show it to like five people and we're like we'll nominate this for the oscars well if it's good enough then why not i don't care who makes it i don't care if it's made on like a cell phone if it's that good and that i really do think it's the best movie of the year then i don't care where it comes from or like how it's distributed yeah i think it was just the the idea of like traditional he's basically tradition is facing like change yeah which is classic classic but i don't know to me i'm fully on the side of who cares about the tradition it's just it's still a movie like it could have been in the theaters been the exact same movie and been oh. qualified it doesn't make sense oh i i agree yeah. i think this like this great play was to do it in netflix no, i think it was a good move too especially as like a what we would call a foreign film yeah i think i think that was a great option because 
I would have never gone out of my way to see to watch it in theaters or to rent it yeah. if if it wasn't in if it wasn't on a streaming service that I could access. Mm-hmm. I agree. I I think it was a good move, and I think as it gets more attention now in the award season and things like that, too, more people will watch it on the streaming service versus like you know if it had been in theaters and passed up, would have missed out on a lot of potential audience as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Did you get a chance to listen to uh, Alfonso Cuarón's like speech when he won? I think best no, director. I watched a lot of the Oscars. I didn't see that part though. Yeah, he was just saying like I grew up on foreign films, and he was like Jaws and like Citizen Kane. So uh, <laughs> like foreign relative to him. Yeah, because oh. <laughs> they were like American cinema, but uh, it was foreign films because he was uh, in Mexico. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that uh, I was actually surprised to learn was that this movie is kind of based around his own, like, name. Yeah, so I I didn't know that at the time, but I I guessed it when I was watching the movie because I was like, this is such, like, an intimate thing and, like, such a a particular and unique person to focus on, like, this made in a house, and he clearly, like, I think, like, loves that character that I was like, this must be some tie to his life. Yeah, and uh, the character Paco apparently is is supposed to be Curran. Which one was Paco? The the kid. Oh, I never knew the kids' names. Yeah, I think Paco was, was he the one, youngest. I, I don't think it was the youngest. I think that he was, was uh, someone else. Yeah. Yeah, I think Paco was the one who overhears his mom. Oh, uh, the oldest then. The oldest or second oldest? I think he was the oldest. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like, Interesting. Like, I didn't know that. Yeah. Obviously, the kids weren't like the the centerpiece of the movie, so it was kind of hard to keep track. Yeah, and they just like. I don't know. I like I recognize them all by face and stuff. I, I'm always pretty bad with names in movies anyway. It also um what surprised me was that I was trying to figure out like why why the movie was called Roma, you know? I like I like did a Spanish to English translation of Roma and I was like <laughs> Rome. Rome. And <laughs> yeah, I was like could have guessed I was, that. <laughs> I was like pretty pretty sure they haven't left the country yet. Yeah. But no, it's actually uh it's a neighborhood in Mexico City yeah. where the film actually takes place in. And it was a combination of rich and poor people in that time. But uh, now, apparently, it's just all hipsters. Ah, uh, man. Whatever. Gentrification. What can you do? Huh. Speaking of, though, like, combination with rich and poor people, I thought that's one thing that stood out in this movie is, like, I don't know if it was just these particular families we saw or maybe something about that time or something about Mexico and countries in general like that, but, like, the contrast between rich and poor was so obvious. Like the rich in this movie were loaded. They had crazy houses, could spend lavishly. Like it didn't matter at all. And the poor were like, they had nothing. They're like living maids or they like lived out. Part of the time was like people were living out in the country in like tents basically and like doing like, I don't know, all types of stuff. It was just such a huge contrast. And I was like, wow, this is kind of shocking, but probably how it is in a lot of parts of the world, even today, you know? Yeah. There's so much in that movie that it's hard to just kind of understand everything that's going on from her cursory glance. Yeah, you know, it's dense. Apparently, one of the big things was that it was a lot of the movie was shot like actually like in the in places instead of like on a set. Uh huh. And so a lot of times when they see like planes flying over and stuff, those are actual planes flying over. Yeah. Huh. Um, and at least I remember, like, three big scenes. Like, in the beginning, like, you see a plane flying. You see one when... And at the very end, the last scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. the last scene. But then there's in the middle when she uh, she goes to talk to her... The the guy who for got me? pregnant. Yeah, for yeah. me. 
and there's another fuck for film. me and too. Oh yeah, uh, the worst man. Anyway, well, you'll watch a movie like we had. Who was it last time? Right? <laughs> it was that dude. Uh, it was like whoever was like claiming that he killed that person. In yeah, yeah. yeah. The, Every episode will have yeah, a hashtag fuck person. Yeah. <laughs> this one's for me and for sure. Yeah. Honestly, you like, can nominate Antonio too. But, yeah, yeah, like honestly, in this movie, every adult male character, yeah, was was an asshole. Yeah, I was like taking notes, just like you know, stream of conscious as I watched the movie, and I was looking back at them today, and one of them just says, "Men ain't shit," because every <laughs> single man in this movie was terrible. Like not just baseline bad, but like really horrible. Yeah, and yeah. I think one of the big things is was too was that the story is about you know like maternal figures in the family yeah definitely. you know you have you have uh cleo who's kind of like a second mom to these kids to the mm-hmm. second family member then you also have this mom who's going through this very both, through a tough time yeah both of them are going through something like difficult and challenging and they're doing it by themselves yeah and at a certain point you, you know you kind of realize like they're they're helping each other even though their relationship is employee and employer they're kind of helping each other through this. Yeah, which is interesting. I So as the movie starts off, the mom, she kind of ignores Cleo or only speaks to her in commands, but she's not outright rude to her. And then as her own tragedy sets in, she kind of starts to be rude to Cleo. And I'm starting to wonder, like, as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, how is this going to go? Is she going to take out all her frustration on Cleo? Like, does she really hate Cleo? Is she almost like maybe even jealous of how much the kids clearly love Cleo? But then... As the movie progresses, they kind of, yeah, like you said, like they end up kind of indirectly supporting each other. And that builds up to the final, one of the final scenes where they like, you know, have a lovey-dovey together moment on the beach, which to me was like very cathartic because they had both been like such focus of the movie and, and had been in positions to help each other kind of, but never had explicitly done so. And then when finally when they're on the beach, they're like, Cleo, we love you and all this stuff. That was a, that was like such an emotional power emotionally powerful moment for me yeah and i think honestly the movie could have ended right there yeah and i thought it would been good although i think the reason that he chose to have those like the last few minutes Uh was i think one it was like metaphorical and trying to kind of tie it all together but also to kind of establish that the family was going to be okay yeah like whenever the last bit of dialogue is like Cleo talking to the other maid when they go back home and she's walking upstairs and she like kind of cracks a slide joke at the maid. She's like, oh, don't like be flirting at the market yeah. or something like that. That to me was like, okay, like she is regaining some sense of normalcy after the tragedy that she just underwent. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you see the plane fly over. Yeah. And I think uh, I read somewhere that the plane was like kind of meant to symbolize like transitions and like uh, life you know yeah i wish i mean there is like at least like I, that i can think of like three scenes in the movie where they like linger on a plane in the sky and i wish like if i were to watch this movie a second time i would try to see like does that mean the transitions or what it meant because it, it wasn't accidental like clearly something uh, yeah. was meant by those like, One interesting thing that I remember was the marching band, right? Yeah. So twice it came up. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. the first time we see the marching band is when Antonio is leaving and he never comes back. The second time we see the marching band is when Sophia and the kids and Cleo come home right before the end of the movie. Yeah. And it kind of like symbolizes like leaving and and coming home. 
Yeah, interesting. Okay, I didn't put those two together either, but uh, yeah, they were like the marching band is just like a big scene interrupter, and it happened at two very like specific moments in the movie, so that does make sense. Uh, but things like the the marching band is like another thing that makes just watching this movie and just like like experiencing it with the senses so enjoyable. It's like so much is happening on the screen, and so many noises are being made at all times. It's just so like just blasting you almost like sensory overload but in a good way i thought and like that mark the marching band is happening to go down the street as you see the wife like giving some great acting as her husband leaves or whatever in the background it's just like classic roma you know yeah it it's very immersive you Mm -hmm. know exactly like i visited india and pakistan and i'm like that's the vibe that i got when i was there was being in kind of like this busy street where people are working people are driving there's like horns honking uh, the kids playing yeah all this noise going on i watched a movie with my dog and he was like very like what's going on the entire time yeah see i've never really been in a setting like that but i you know watching roma i feel like i kind of know what you mean like it's just so much happening at all times all around you so many like lives being lived you know yeah interesting one one of the cool things was do you remember, do you remember that scene when they're at the marsh when they're at the martial arts training camp yes and they have uh, professor zofek is the <laughs> yeah. name i thought he was such a funny character yeah so yeah. apparently he's like an actual pro wrestler called a latin lover oh really yeah <laughs> but he's not like is it was that his real persona in real life because he's such a character in this movie i i i couldn't tell you i i like that scene like i was just like smiling i don't know why i thought it was so funny and like yeah. charming but like, like it was just mo- such that, an orator you know yeah and it seems so out of place like yeah anything yeah but um do you remember like he had this like one move he said like him and a few other martial arts masters and a few like the most elite athletes yeah. could do and it's all about mental toughness over physical toughness yeah i thought he was gonna do something crazy and they were gonna like cgi almost but no <laughs> yeah and, and for for those of you who haven't seen it like it's not a big plot point no. but it was him kind of standing on one leg with the other leg uh kind of like in a figure four and his hands like pressed against each other above his head and his and, eyes closed yeah, yeah. And, he, and he was saying, like, doing it with your eyes closed is very difficult. And there's this group of, like, 300, I would say, like, martial arts students who can't do it. And in the background, we see Cleo just practicing it and doing it perfectly. And I think that was for us to understand that she has this, like, mental toughness about her. She's not... Because, like, right after that scene is when Furman's, like... I don't want anything to do with you or the baby. And if you come talk to me about it again, yeah. I'm going to beat you up and kill the baby. Which was intense. Yeah. Yeah. Man, there was, including the professor scene, there was just a, a handful. I mean, the whole movie was good, but there was like a handful of scenes that were like truly great scenes in this movie, I thought. And I, that's one thing I was like, I really appreciate. It was like just really good, powerful moments that stick with you. Another one for me was um at some point in the movie soon after the dad leaves it's around christmas time and the mom brings the family i believe it's new year's actually and she brings the family over to some sort of family friend's house where there's a bunch of families there gathered and they're celebrating you know having holiday festivities whatever and then at one point they're all in a forest behind the house and all the adults are just like 
drinking and like shooting guns and these targets as the kids and there's tons of kids are like running around the forest unsupervised and it's just such a interesting and like great scene in my opinion and it's just like shows you how different times were both setting wise and like decade wise like mexico in the 70s people just like be in the back drinking shooting guns and just without a care in the world as like 15 kids run around unsupervised and play and it's such a beautiful setting for them to be doing it and i thought that was a great scene there was just so much going on that it honestly felt like the director had just made a home movie with all of his like yeah like re- did a reenactment of a home movie because that's yeah. what it felt like it felt lived in for sure like yeah. it felt very authentic and at times you feel like there's no story but the story is people living their life yeah and I think that's that might be a challenge for some people who are very interested in movies that are plot driven yeah. or like character which i think you maybe more so than me are yeah. that way mm-hmm. and but this movie is definitely character driven and you kind of and you become invested in these yeah. people and Big their time. story and yeah. you want to see what happens and honestly the movie is i want to say slow to start as everything starts building and mm-hmm. then it kind of and they're clearly not really even in a rush to get the plot going like the first at least 20, 30 minutes are just them living their life and setting up relationships. But like until really until she goes on that like double date, nothing is relative to the plot really. Maybe the dad leaving, but you don't even know that he's not coming back. Yeah. And that's like the first 30 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that might also play into just Alfonso Cuaron being Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah. Because like one of his like big movies is Gravity. Yeah. Okay. And I feel like that was also the vibe that I got. I really enjoyed that movie. There's definitely times and it was just kind of Sandra Bullock by herself. Yeah. Which actually, interestingly for me, didn't work when I watched Gravity. I, I watched, I walked out of Gravity very displeased. Really? Uh, yeah. But I know it was obviously a popular movie. Uh, yeah. So I don't know why it worked for me this time and not that time. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe space is obviously not as vibrant of a place <laughs> as Mexico City. So yeah. maybe I like the character like... Well, I don't know. It's hard to say why that one didn't work for me. Roma and Gravity are both movies that I thought were, I would call them artistic masterpieces. Yeah. But I won't be watching them again. I think I personally will watch Roma again just because I I think it's just more up my alley. Like my favorite thing a movie can do is like really good character development. And this movie clearly invests more into his characters than anything else. But that's like a personal preference. If you're not as into that and you're more into plot, this movie probably isn't for you and that's okay. It's not meant to be a big crowd pleaser for everybody. It's meant to be exactly what it is. You know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I still think it's worth a watch. Yeah. Especially if you have Netflix. I think it's hands down a great movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe even one of the best movies I've seen in 2018. I think it was probably maybe, well, if not my favorite, then at least like, it was able to do things for me that other movies weren't able to do. Like I felt when I finished this movie, I felt similar feelings as to when I come back from like a trip to a place I've never been before. And I feel like I'm exposed to things that I had never experienced. And I have like a broadening of my worldview. Like if you go on a really good vacation to like another part of the world or something, I had those same types of feelings after watching Roma because it was just so vivid and so completely new to me. That I was like, wow, I feel like I like know more about the world after watching this. And that was like such a 
powerful feeling for me that I, I like definitely loved this movie and I'm like grateful to have seen it. Yeah, I think for for the cinematography as well, like just for the cinematography, I think it's worth watching. Yeah, yeah. What's uh, interesting is Guillermo del Toro said this was one of his top five favorite movies of all time. Is he from Mexico? I I think so. See, if, if he is, and that would make sense to me because if I... I loved it and I can't even relate. Like, I've never been to Mexico. I'm from Texas, so, like, obviously I have some relations to Mexican culture, but, like, I can imagine if you're from Mexico City, you're starred for movies that, like, in your opinion, do a fair representation of your culture, and then you're, like, blasted with this movie, which is, like, the ultimate representation of Mexico City, in my opinion, which I'm not an expert, but, like, I can see why it would be something he, like, loved, you know? Yeah, and I definitely think that some of it, for us, the disconnects that we might have might be because we aren't so familiar with Mexican cinema. Yeah. You know, like I, I'm not at all. Yeah. Like for me personally speaking, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Bollywood in India uh-huh. and I can understand like movies over there, you see them and they kind of have the same feel. They do the like very similar things artistically speaking that you might not see in American movies. So I think that might also be a situation with uh, Roma and Mexican films. Yeah. Like I think one thing that we can expect from Roma is an expanse into international and foreign films. I hope so. Yeah, I, it like sparked a new interest in me for sure, and just seeing like what other people can do for their own countries. You know, I yeah. I would be very much interested in seeing that. I think other than. This, my only experience is like the handful of Bollywood movies that I've seen. <laughs> I think Bollywood movies are like stylistically way further from American movies than this one is. Uh, obviously, Bollywood's like a whole different style, but it's always interesting to see the cinema of like other countries, I think. The acting of this movie definitely makes it even without being able to read the subtitles, you can kind of get a sense of what's going on because of how great the actors are. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things is that the the main character, Yalitza, mm-hmm. or the main the the actress, actress who yeah. plays her, she she was this is her first movie. Really? Yeah. So she was wow. apparently going That's to, shocking to me. Yeah, so she was apparently gonna be a teacher before this and before yeah, she like, looks like a teacher. Yeah, and before she was gonna actually like start, uh, she she had some time off, and so yeah. she she decided to go and like try out for this movie, really? and she had no idea who Alfonso Cuarón was or anything <laughs> like that. She just got thrown into like an entirely different world. Yeah, because <laughs> I imagine she'll hopefully get other acting jobs, at least like in Mexico. I don't know if she even like speaks English, but uh, she did a great job, like flawless. I would say her, she really like embodied that character very well. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the acting in this movie was really good, uh, especially, like, scene by scene. Like, so we, we said, you know, we don't like Fermin. Fermin sucked. Terrible character. But there was a scene where he, um, like, right after him and uh, Cleo, like, you know, hooked up what conceived or whatever. And he's, like, <laughs> he's, like, naked in the room. And he, like, is doing his stick twirling with his uh whatever like he's doing his army routine he he, 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 he. <laughs> yeah stick was not a euphemism for penis he like has a stick that he's like doing some routine with and this scene was like crazy to me it was just so like 
<laughs> I don't know. It was so intense, and he like ends up like pointing the stick at the camera, and like I don't know. It was just such a good scene, like well acting. It probably took a lot of time for the actor to like rehearse that and get those moves down. He looked like a real like martial arts master. I was impressed by it. A lot of good acting in this movie. Oh yeah, for sure. I think one of the things that we we as, I guess, Americans or as people who aren't from Mexico might not understand about the movie might be the significance of what was going on in 1970, 1971 yeah. in, in Mexico City. I'm pretty much entirely ignorant about it other than what I heard, like, saw in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, from what I know is, like, there might have been a big earthquake and there might have been riots. And that was only after reading a little bit after watching the movie and mm. i think understanding some social context might give a better insight of what's going on but it's not 100 percent necessary no i mean you get not necessarily the whole story of what's happening but you definitely get the whole picture of how it's affecting the characters lives yeah which is what's important for the movie um and again as a tie-in to what we we're talking about before you're seeing everything through the perspective of a side character as the main character. Yeah, so like the earthquake, we see how it affects her basically just by killing the babies that are in front of her in the hospital. And then the you know political stuff basically just affects her and for me and relationship and ends up sending her into labor um, whenever there's that stuff outside and the stress of it. But other than that, it's like not really touched on at all. And it probably really like... Interestingly, like, so those two things affect Cleo, but none of that stuff really affects the family who's, like, really well off. And I wonder if that was, like, on purpose to say, like, you know, some people are so protected by their money that they're almost, like, untouched and then therefore apathetic towards, you know, the political turmoils and stuff going on in countries like that. Yeah. Also, I think you can kind of say it on the other end of the spectrum, too, is that they might not be apathetic because at that time, the 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 dad had already left and so the mom had mentioned throughout the time that the that he hadn't sent money in a long time mm. and at the end of the movie you find out she's taking a job and kind of working on stuff and so it might not be that they're apathetic it might be that they're kind of just living their own life and very concerned about what's going on with them so, well, well that's what i mean apathetic towards what's happening to the rest of the country because yeah. they're you know so focused on yeah. what's, what they're doing mm-hmm. and stuff that's going on yeah yeah one of the interesting things is the background i think tells a whole separate story as to what's going on in the foreground one of the scenes that we see at the end is when the mother decides to tell the kids that yeah um that the father has left great and, scene and uh the reason that they're on vacation is so he can go and get all of his great scene. stuff yeah. which as an aside for some reason all he took was his bookshelves yeah not the <laughs> books i don't i want to know like yeah Alf- that's interesting like alfonso sure. curon like if you ever watch this that'd be cool what was your real dad or like what was you know this <laughs> what is person the story who, behind this yeah what is the details. what is significance <laughs> of the bookshelves it was like the muddy hidden in the bookshelves yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know but i thought that was a great scene i thought the mom handled that really well and like throughout the movie i wouldn't necessarily say that i was a big fan of the mom she kind of was like nasty to characters occasionally and just something about her rubbed me the wrong way but as the movie progressed and then like culminating in that scene where she finally like 
faces the music and like tells the kids, hey, your dad isn't in Quebec indefinitely. He's here and he just has left. She just kind of gives them straight facts, puts a positive spin on everything, doesn't hold back, answers the questions that they have and just handles it so well. Doesn't panic in front of anything like that. And then that's when I was like, all right, you know what? I'm rooting for this mom character. She's all right in my book. See, I think it was a little different, like the the vibe that I got from the mom. Uh-huh. I don't think she was a mean person or terrible or anything like that in the beginning. The way that I, I got it was that because she was trying to keep their marriage together, mm-hmm. she was always trying to keep the husband happy. Yeah. And so the times we see her snap is because um so the first time yeah so the first time like uh and i think it's antonio the father drives drives home you see him actually driving over i think a dog poop and then as one of the one of the great scenes in this movie is just uh cleo going and closing all the lights and it's it's just shot so beautifully and you kind of get a peek into each room as she's going by and you can kind of overhear the the mother and father arguing about the dog poop, yelling like, oh, I'll tell Cleo to clean it up. And mm. the next morning as the father is leaving, he steps in a pile of dog poop and, you know, she she tries to like, I guess, like show some affection when he's leaving and he kind of just gives her the cold shoulder. So that's when she snaps. Yeah. And I think that's like the first time that I see her like snap. Yeah. And then... Even prior to that, the first line I think I remember her uh, speaking to Cleo was like, hey, get Antonio some tea. You know, she's yeah. like making sure that he's catered to. And to add to your point that she's only uh, relating to Cleo that way in the attempt to make her husband happier. I think you're totally right about that. And I don't think that she's a bad character. I just thought that at the time. But I never I didn't pick up on the fact that Antonio was going to be like leaving. Like I never would have guessed that. And even like as he like the last time we see him with the family as he leaves in the morning and he's kind of upset. I was like, why is this mom so stressed? Like he's just going to work. Like I didn't expect him to not come back. And so clearly there was like some underlying tension leading up to that moment that we weren't shown. And that kind of motivates the mom's um, behavior. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And the second time I see her snap is when uh, Paco overhears her talking to someone. Yeah. Kind of. And he kind of discovers that. Uh, the father has left yeah and so that's when she you know kind of yells at uh, cleo like why didn't you like yeah. call him or take him away mm-hmm. so i definitely think that it was more of a stress related yeah. versus like she's a terrible person and so i can empathize with that yeah and i mean even just the fact that i w- it wasn't overwhelmingly obvious the crisis that she was going through almost shows how well she was handling this like hard time in her life that she kind of she had an, the occasional snap but she really handled things well on her own for what's clearly the not only her husband like the sole breadwinner of the family just like dipping out and running around town with other women is like you know pretty tragic yeah and i'll say like the the part of antonio leaving like the family i i kind of had overheard before i watched the movie oh okay and See, so, I hadn't known. yeah mm-hmm. and so when i was like watching some of these scenes You'd, you'd get like some brief snippets of conversation that Cleo was overhearing. Yeah. And from my perspective of having known that this situation was happening, I like that put it into a better picture. But mm. like, I see where you're coming from and you're, you're in the same boat as Cleo where these little, no yeah, yeah. Like these little snippets of conversation of like, oh, he's not in Quebec or, you know, like, oh, he's, 
he's got the letters or things like that you know and then we see like after that like the mom's like all right letters Mm -hmm. to your father so it's like i think yeah that's another scene where you see how like she's trying to do her best to like write the situation without having to explain to everybody what's actually happening she's like hey you guys should write letters to your dad make sure you emphasize how much you miss him and she tells the youngest son like say you want to see your dad and like really hints at like oh like she's really going for one last shot trying to use the kids as like a tool to make him realize his mistakes yeah mm-hmm. but um but she's yes. an interesting character yeah and I, I think that was the other thing was that you know when when life hits you hard you have to get you know get back up and yeah. i think that's the i think that was like the message of the story right like the whole airplanes the transitions it's all these things bad things happen and you know it's a uh, from my perspective there's so much like symbolism and things yeah going on right like mm-hmm. antonio was a piece of crap and he's leaving her for the first time you see the mariachi band playing right yeah. like it's a celebration yeah. and then she comes back from the beach vacation you know her and her family have like become closer they've bonded cleo's kind of not completely over it, but she's kind she's of finally over- showing some sign of getting better. I would say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Over after her, she lost her baby, mm-hmm. and that's when you see the marriage band coming again, celebrating, and then the movie ends with a plane flying over, symbolizing another transition. Yeah, and so it's all these things that are in the background that add so much symbolism. I think is masterful yeah do i do think that this movie could be described as masterful like it was not only was it all done so well but it was done with like the most like palpable love for the subject matter like maybe of any movie that i've ever seen like he clearly is in love with his city and like the people that he grew up with that are represented in this movie yeah i i think i read somewhere that he's been wanting to make this movie since like 2006 ah well well done alfonso you did good. What I what started this whole side conversation was that one scene where she tells her kids that she's uh, that her fa- that their father has left. Mm-hmm. So you know, right after that scene, we see them eating ice cream. In the background, there's another we- there's a wedding going on, mm-hmm. and it kind of symbolizes one marriage ended, another one is no, happening in the back. Yeah. yeah. Great movie. Rich in details, for sure. Uh, one question I always like to ask is, like, what was your favorite scene of the movie? That's really hard, just because mm-hmm. I think the way that I would say it is that in this movie, I would have to either say what was, to me, visually the best scene of okay. the movie and just plot, character, like, yeah. that-wise. And I think visually, the the best scene of the movie for me might have been just the use of like cinematography to tell you what what happened to those three babies. Yeah. Like it was so sad, but the way that the director goes from like those three you see the three babies in the incubator with the cinder blocks on them to cutting to three graves as the family transitions into a vacation. Mm-hmm. Like I think that was just that transition, that scene was just so masterfully done. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite scene was the whole uh, Dr. Zovkev or whatever his name yeah. is. That, <laughs> that was a good one. <coughs> Professor Zolek, you mean? Yeah, or whatever, or whatever Zolk, it was. Yeah. Yeah. 
that that scene was just so great because one we see that uh we see that she has like this mental toughness that they're talking about yeah you know we see uh what's her what's her ex's name for me for me being a dick and her just kind of moving on and yeah like, that whole scene and it goes from kind of being like almost like a lighthearted, silly moment to being like intense yeah like very quickly i can see that i would say okay so if i'm going to uh organize my two favorite scenes into the same two categories then visually uh you know so many to choose from but my particular favorite was when uh it was also when they were on that christmas new year's vacation and there's like two uh maids walking all the children through this big field kind of slowly and the kids are like playing and the camera's like slowly panning over this like beautiful mexican countryside i just thought that shot was like amazing it made me want to be there and uh, Cleo talks about how it reminds her of her like home village and stuff like that. And I just thought that scene visually was like so good. And then like otherwise, plot wise, also a lot to choose from. But for me, uh, probably it's going to have to be just when the mom like finally told her kids about what was going on with the dad. I thought she just did it so well. It had been a long time coming at that point in the movie. So it's pretty cathartic. And then like seeing the kids reactions and how they all kind of reacted differently. I just thought it was like a really great scene. So yeah those are my favorites yeah i mean there's so many in this yeah, movie like yeah. one of the one of my other favorites was when they're on the beach after she has like after cleo kind of rescues those two kids and they kind of hug which is actually the theatrical poster of the movie mm. we you know that that one like like that one scene is just so beautifully done yeah and then another one of my favorite movies is that uh, favorite scenes. scene is that um when the delivery scene with cleo yeah that was tough it all it was like no transitions like no it was just all back to back to back and like you go from what could potentially be an exciting time to being like pretty devastating when you find out that it's a stillborn yeah Mm -hmm. so crazy thing about that scene right Mm -hmm. is that it was only shot once really yeah and the the people who were doing it they weren't actors they were actual doctors and nurses i could see that because it had the flow of being in like like i've been in some actual birth never a stove birth luckily but like you know it, it's all very quick and they try their best to explain to the mom what they're doing but like if the baby needs the doctor or the nurse and that's the priority and you yeah. see that happening in a scene i thought that felt really authentic to the point where i was just like comfortable with it because i'd been in that scenario a few times you know yeah exactly mm-hmm. I, I did find it interesting because I guess like ultra ultrasound wasn't then like around yeah, then like I when he was, was like awesome. listening to the yeah. actual, I thought that was cool to see yeah, like, that was I don't even know what that thing was but it was like clearly so they could hear like the fetal heart tones and I thought that was so cool I I would like to see one of those like a medical museum or something and like try to listen to it I thought that was great uh all right any other last things that you have I mean we've talked about live we could probably talk for like three more hours this movie's rich in details yeah I um, I highly encourage you to watch it. I definitely give it, you know, nine loaves out of. Yeah, out of I'll 10. give it ten out of ten. Uh, but like I, I've said already, this is like kind of right up my alley. Uh, but it's undeniably beautiful and undeniably like if you like character-driven movies, and it's gonna it's gonna pull on your heartstrings. So yeah, yeah. So on average, a nine and a half loaves out of, 12, <laughs> yeah. out of ten loaves. Um, yeah, so definitely check out this movie. Alfonso Cuaron even said that this is the most essential movie of his career. Wow. And that's saying something because he's made career. Gravity, 
He's made, you know, one of the Harry Potter movies. Oh, yeah. Did he do the third one, Prisoner of Azkaban? Yeah. That's that's probably my favorite one. Favorite yeah. movie, at least. Uh, he also did one called Children of Men, I think. Yeah, that was a good movie. I haven't seen it, but I've heard good things. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting concept. Mm. It's definitely... Maybe we'll do it on another episode. <laughs> Alfonso, you, you might be the subject of another one. You really affected me here. I was impressed. Yeah, so... Uh... Yeah, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, leave any comments, any thoughts about the movie mm-hmm. on our social media. We'd love for you to engage with us. The Love Podcast. Yeah, find us on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, you can follow Jason on his private Facebook page. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that that's all I got. Yeah, me too. Uh, so we'll just go ahead and sign off. This has been another episode of The Love with Rad and Jason. Uh Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.